following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. You ever wonder, you ever wonder why life seems to speed up the older you get, and yet it seems so painfully slow when you're like a kid or a teenager? You ever wonder why that is? And, and no one has an answer, but I... But many, many years ago, I read um, the source of a lot of truth, Reader's Digest. I read this article. These guys help you out with a lot of really good things. And um, they, they helped us out with this. And apparently, the answer is math. Okay, it's just a matter of math. All right, ready for this? According to Reader's Digest, when you're one year old, one year is 100% of your life. And so a year seems like an extremely long period of time because it's the whole thing. So ask any one-year-old, they'll tell you. Life is going by very slowly for them because a year is like the whole thing. Okay, you get how this is going to work now? If you're two years old, are you tracking with me? Math is hard, I get it. Okay, if you're tracking with me, if you're two years old, a year is only 50% of your life. Correct, it's, it's half. You see where this is going to go. If you're 10 years old, a year is still a lot. It's 10%. It's, t- it's a t- tenth of your life. Well, then, um, if you're 20 years old, one year is 5% of your life. If you're 50 years old, which I am not, <laughs> quite, yet, but soon, um, haven't fully decided on my crisis yet, although some think I've already had it. Um, one year drops to just 2% of your life. And when you reach 70 years old, one year is a mere 1.4% of your life. And when you're 70 years old, even when you're almost not quite yet 50, life is racing by. It's going so very fast. And apparently it's all just a matter of our perspective on it. The older you get, the faster it seems to go, even though we know that the clock is ticking at the very same rate that it always has. So let me ask, is Jesus Christ, because I'm not really concerned with what Reader's Digest says about stuff like this, is Jesus Christ at the very center of every tick of the clock for you? It isn't really just about perspective, as we'll see in the text today. The math doesn't tell us anything that isn't absolutely true according to the scriptures. Time is short. Life is short. Yet we presume, as we'll see as we work through this text today, we presume that we have all the time in the world. We presume it. We act presumptuously. And a presumptuous life is inconsistent in every way with the extraordinary Christian life that we're seeking to live by faith. So let's read what James had to say about it today. We're in the last few verses of James chapter 4. Here's what he writes. Now, uh, come now. 
You who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him or for him, it is sin. That's what James wrote. Before we get in uh, to working through those verses, though, let me ask this question. He may be looking at the outline and going, it looks a bit unusual today. And, and I get that if you, if you look at the notes. But can I just, a little survey time here. How many people are on some kind of social media platform? Just raise your hand. If you're on some kind of social media platform, okay, drop your hands. How many people are not at all on any kind of social media platform? Okay, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it uh, here right now. And you'll probably decide that you made the right decision um, to not be on it. But how many people, just because I want to just kind of understand this, how many Facebook people, you got a Facebook account, Twitter? Well, not very many of you, okay. Um, The girl one, what's it called? Pinterest, that one. Okay, right. How many people sharing pictures, Instagram, any Instagrammers out there? Okay, so uh, we get a little bit of an idea here. And um, I want to give you a little bit of of, um, kind of education on social media here, because this is going to help us moving forward. One way, in fact, that we notice that time is flying by so quickly is the speed at which technology is moving and information is flowing to us. And I think we would all agree especially those who are on social media platforms or online at all, uh, that it is overwhelming how much information is actually out there. And, um, and uh, that kind of makes our point here about how fast life is moving. But if you're savvy on the social media platforms, then you know about something called the hashtag. Now, confession, confession. How many people know about hashtags? Raise your hand. Okay, so this is going to be old school for you. How many people right now, you have no idea what I'm talking about? Raise your hand, honest confession time. That's great. I'm going to teach you. All right? This has nothing to do with the Word of God. Okay. <laughs> the hashtag, now this, this is, you, you take a pound sign and you put a word or a phrase beside it. And that tag, the hashtag together makes it searchable uh, on these different social media platforms. And so... Um, Let me give you a couple examples. If we spent the day on Barry's waterfront, we could post something like this. A great day on the boat, hashtag Barry. And then anybody who is kind of looking for pictures or tweets or posts that relate to the city of Barry, they would find this tweet, all right? Or I could do this one. If I posted a pic of uh, this morning's worship, I could post, so blessed to worship with my uh, harvest uh, family today. Um, hashtag lifting high the name of Jesus. You read that? Got it? Lifting high the name of Jesus. Hashtag uncommon community. And uh, people could search both of those and find it. Get it? How many people who didn't know about hashtags before now know about them? Please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. All right? Because I certainly don't want to go through that again. All right. Social media lesson over. You get where we're going here. And so the tweet that we're posting today, the post that's being put on Facebook or 
uh, Twitter is this. A presumptuous life is inconsistent with the extraordinary Christian life. And in fact, if you have a smartphone and you have one of those, go ahead and you can just even tweet that right now. Post that right now. The presumptuous life is inconsistent with the extraordinary Christian life. A hashtag. What seems to be the problem here? All right. And that could be searchable as well. I was bored. Okay. (laughs) When I was prepping this week's message, clearly I must have been bored. All right. James tells us in verse 13, get this now, what seems to be the problem here? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. The first two words, come now, are really like, hey, you, listen up. That's what he's doing. He's he's trying to catch their attention to say to them, I've got something, listen up now, I've got something really important to tell you. And he's calling out the presumptuous life that, listen, this is the most important part about what James is saying. The presumptuous life is a life that excludes God from the equation. It's ignoring the fact that he should be at the center of our lives. And so he uses this example, and we can't get all caught up in the example, though James often talks about riches, and in his letter he's going to address various aspects of that and how we ought to be using what we have to care for others. But his concern here is not so much about the business part of it, not so much about the making money. That's not the big issue. The problem is not that they were doing business, not that they were seeking to make a profit, but that they had excluded God from their plans. It wasn't what they were doing. It was their motivation and their exclusion of God from doing it. I prayed with a businessman just this week, a businessman who's a member of our church. And one of the things that I will often pray for when I'm with someone and we're talking about their life, I'll ask questions. How is work going? How's your business going? And uh, one of the things I'll often pray for is for God to bless their business. Is that a good prayer? It's a it's a great prayer in the same way that I would pray for you if you didn't have a business, but you had a job. I would pray that you would be blessed and prosper in that job. The same thing I pray for businessmen. I want people to be successful and to have the blessings that God gives to people. Not guaranteed by any measure, not preaching any kind of prosperity gospel, but just believing it's not a bad thing to make money. And that we ought to be able to go out and provide for our family and be generous toward others. And so I pray that for business people. I prayed that, again, I said this week for someone. That God would bless them. That God would be glorified in their business or in their job through the way that they conduct themselves. And the problem here then is, as James says it, not the business venture, not the making of money. Again, it was that they had excluded God from it all. Now, what had they decided? You see in the verse how all-encompassing it is. The exclusion of God. Check it out in the verse. Here's all the things that they had decided apart from God's involvement. They they decided of their own accord uh, when this was going to start. God's not involved at all in the starting of the venture. It's going to happen today or tomorrow. I decided that. Now, they decided on their own accord where they would do business. We're going to go to such and such a town. That's where we're going. Hadn't consulted with God. He had no part in it. They decided the duration of this enterprise, how long they were going to do it. We're going to be there about a year. 
They had decided the type of business, that it was going to be a trading business. And they had decided the purpose of it was to make profit. And God was excluded from every aspect. The way, the reason why James goes through all of this is to let us know just how complete was their ignoring of God. Let me remind you again too, he's not talking to people who don't love Jesus. He's talking to people who are part of the church. He's talking to those who have already professed their faith in Jesus Christ and are part of God's community. There are people that are professing faith in Christ, but in this area of their life, their business life, God was not a part of it. Now, I, I see that, and, and that drives me, compels me to start examining my own life to say, are there any parts, any aspects of my life where I have so compartmentalized these things? This is in a box over here. And this is in a box over here. And when I'm in this box, it's the worship box. It's the church box. It's the small group box. It's the box I go into when I feel like I want to make God part of it. But then sometimes I get out of that box and I'm in this one over here. And this is my job box. This is my work box. This is my business box. This is my leisure box. This is my I'm at home. I want to be left alone box. I'm compelled to ask the question when I see this, are there any aspects of my life where I've excluded God? Are you asking the same question? I mean, not only should God be welcomed into that part of your life, he must be given the place of preeminence and sovereignty over it. There's no single part of our life that God isn't absolutely in command of. Let me just hit, you can be thinking about whatever it is for you. I don't know what area of your life it is where you might even be thinking right now, well, God's not really a part of that. Let me just hit on a couple. One is your sexuality. Is God in that part of your life? Does he have sovereignty over it? Is he in command of it? Some of the same questions. Does God decide who you're with sexually? Does God decide, according to his word, what gender of person you're with? Does God decide when you get to be with that person? Does God decide your purpose for being with that person sexually? Does God get to decide those things or not? That could apply, by the way, just as readily to the uh, young single person. Uh, maybe the person struggling with same-sex attraction. Maybe the person struggling with uh, keeping themselves pure prior to marriage. It could apply to those situations. It could apply just as readily inside of marriage to a husband or wife who are keeping themselves away from each other sexually. When we have an obligation, according to the scriptures... To one another. Your body is not your own. If you haven't had sex for some time. That's a problem. Is God in command of your sexuality or not? Have you decided to put in a box over here. Where God doesn't have a part of that? It's a problem. Here's a second area. Probably no less controversial. Finances. How you make your money. 
why you make your money. What you do with the money that you make. Is it all submitted to God's plan? Is he in sovereign control over the finances that are coming into your home? If he's not. It's a problem. It's the problem that James is addressing here. God's been excluded from your plan. You've decided to go it on your own. Apart from his counsel and his wisdom and his oversight. And all of that is important because, notice next now, this is what we were driving at in the introduction. Hashtag life is short. Life is short. By the way, are are you, okay, a little side note, because that was a heavy part. That was heavy. Say that was heavy. That was heavy. You need a little comedic relief here? Yes? Yes? All right. So are you concerned at all that the letters are all running together? That the words are all running together? Is that a problem for anybody? Okay, I want to give you the biblical basis for this. I understand that it makes it hard to read, but this is not new at all. And we often think of technology being so cutting edge and so new, and no one's ever seen this uh, before in the history of the world. And that is absolutely not true when it comes to uh, running all the words uh, together like this. Uh, Did you know that the New Testament Greek manuscripts were written in this exact fashion? Did you know that the original manuscripts of Greek were written without punctuation, without spaces between words, without capitalization, or in this case, without capitalization, but in some manuscripts, all capitals, no punctuation, no spaces. All right, just run all the letters together. You know why they did that? To conserve space because papyrus was hard to come by. It was an expensive thing. So we're just going to compact everything together. Spaces cost money. And so we're going to eliminate the spaces. Punctuation costs money. We're going to eliminate all of that. And so a biblical basis for the hashtag. (laughs) Got it? Say amen. Amen. All right. You're having fun. I know. Hashtag is a throwback. Nothing new here. So hashtag life is short to the text now. Verse 14. Notice what he says next. Uh, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Did you wonder why this thing was here? Those of you that saw this. What is your life? It is but a... Get that? Can you see that? Can you see that? Can you see that? You sit up here. I'm just saying... I've been known to spit while I preach, and, and so this is way better than that. This is at least clean water. Your life is but a mist. You see that? It just, it doesn't last at all. That illustration, actually using this little spray bottle to illustrate that is so important because maybe, maybe you've seen something like this. Um, how, many, um, how many non-morning people here? Non-morning people? Okay, so you don't even know that lakes have mist on them. <laughs> so this is proof. Um, This is proof that it's beautiful. If you get up early and the water is so still and hanging over the water is this mist. But then when does it disappear? Like so quickly, as soon as the sun starts to come up, evaporates and it's gone. And so if you're not a morning person, you have no idea what I'm talking about here. And and it's just a mist. It's just here temporarily. And James says to us, that's your life. That's you. 
You're here for the shortest of time. And yet you're making all these plans exclusive of God being involved in them. Your life, it appears and then it's gone. Life is short. And by that I mean earthly. Your earthly life is short. And I don't want to be ghoulish about it at all. But we are racing toward our own graves. The older we get, speed with which we approach our own end increases. Life is short, but hear this, life beyond the grave is anything but short. That's true for those who love Jesus and those who don't. Life beyond the grave is anything but short. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this is the moment in which it would be a good idea to make a decision to follow him. Because life is anything but short for those who love Jesus and those who don't. And you want to be on the side of loving Jesus. The older we get, it's increasing. These truths are being pressed on us. Life is eternal. And if you love Jesus Christ, it's entirely and perfectly about him. Do you love Jesus Christ? Then it is entirely and perfectly about him. And so should we not? That's what eternity is going to be like. Eternity is so focused, so completely devoted and given over to Jesus Christ. Eternity is entirely about the glory of Christ shining from the throne of God. And you and I basking in the wonder of that for all of eternity. And should we not then be doing all that we can to ensure that the decisions we make here and now are setting our feet on a course toward that eternity? Should we not then make our lives now entirely and perfectly about Jesus Christ in every aspect of our lives? Anything else is presumption. I think I can do it on my own. We all know that life is short. But we have this disconnect between what we know to be true and how we live our lives. We know that life is short as a matter of fact. We've been, likely most of us in this room, apart from maybe some of the younger people, we've been to enough funerals to know that life is short. We've been to enough funerals of people who are younger than us to know that life is short. We know it on its face. We know it as a fact. We know it because of the evidence that is around us. And we believe it in terms of other people. But we don't believe it for ourselves. Somehow, believing the fact has not actually affected our lives to the point that we understand that, that I understand. My life is really short. Seneca was a first century Roman philosopher teaching around the same time that the apostles were teaching. And he said this, we are always complaining that our days are few. And acting as though there would be no end of them. We know the fact, 
but it hasn't changed us. It's time for Christ followers to start acting like life is indeed temporal, that it's short, and make the most of the time that God has given us by making him central to our lives. The attitude of your life then must be this, hashtag Deo Valente. How many of you spent a lot of time trying to figure out those two words? It's Latin, so give yourself a break. Deo Valente. It's right out of the text, in fact. It means simply what verse 15 says, and you can underline this. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, Deo Valente, if the Lord wills, Lord willing. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Instead of making your plans without God, instead of doing things your own way and excluding him, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, God willing. The Spirit of God wants to so saturate our lives and fill every part of who we are that we would be willingly submitting ourselves to his lordship, to his will. And again, the illustration here is something very mundane. It's business. It's the person's job. It's what they do for a living. And I think of all the things that we could possibly, pretty hard for me, I'm a pastor. The, The whole thing seems rather interconnected. But for those of you who are not employed in some kind of service to Christ as your vocation, you're going to a job tomorrow and you may have a hard time seeing how the connect is there between that and your walk with Christ. I get it. The appeal here is not to pastors who are going to probably struggle less with this. The appeal is to businessmen. The appeal is to those who are making a paycheck. The appeal is to those who are out there building a business to make money. It seems ordinary and mundane and sometimes very disconnected from your faith. And yet James is appealing. Your life is short. You ought to be saying even in this. If God wills it, God is in control. I'm submitting my way to him in the context of where I work and what I do for a living. That's what the spirit of God wants from us. There's nothing. Can I say it this way? There is nothing natural in our lives. Everything is supernatural when we walk with Jesus Christ. Everything is supernatural. Christ has control over all of it. Unless we're living a presumptuous life. But if we're living for him, we want to be living, as we said, entirely and perfectly about Jesus. What does that look like? For those of you who are taking notes, let me give you three words. What this really looks like when I'm living entirely and perfectly for Jesus. The first word is this submission. Submission. I I put myself under the leadership of Christ. That's what the word submit means. I, I, I intentionally, of my own will, put myself under the leadership of another, in this case, Jesus Christ and his word. When I say, if the Lord wills, it means that God gets to call the shots in my life. It means he leads and you follow. And I love that Jesus modeled this for us. Um, you'll recall, and we just celebrated the Lord's table here, and uh, he 
shared the Lord's table, the first one, the communion with his closest followers. And then they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And this would be the night that he was betrayed and Judas would come for him. And prior to Judas's arrival with those, um, uh, those who would uh, arrest him, uh, Jesus went off to pray. He asked his followers, you pray, I'm going to go off over here and I'm going to pray alone. And as he was praying, we could see the wrestling match that was going on between the father and the son over what? The will of God. The plan that God had set out before him and Jesus desiring that the plan would be entirely about what the father wanted. Submitted himself to the father's will. You'll remember the words that he spoke. uh, Not my will. This is Luke 22. Not my will, but yours be done, he said to the father. But he's wrestling over it. It's a struggle for him. He's agonizing over what's going to happen. And you'll recall that the evil one earlier had tempted him with what? Different plans. Do it this way. Do it this way. And if Jesus were making up his own plans in his humanity, he was certainly being tempted to. It was, I could do it this way. The devil said I could do it this way. Maybe this third way is a better way. I don't know. And he's wrestling with the father over it. But at the end of the day, having taken it to the Lord in prayer, he just simply says, not my will, not what I want, not my plans, but yours. Your plans be done. Jesus submitted himself to the father's will, though it meant dying on the cross. He was submissive to the father. To our benefit. Amen. To our benefit. First word was submission. The second word I would just give you is process. I think we could be discouraged at this point and just say, this is it's a lot to ask. And I fail so often. Any failures in the crowd here today? Any? Any? If you didn't raise your hand, you just failed. So you two are a failure. Right? Sin has gripped every one of our hearts and we stumble. Even those of us who, who, who love the Lord, we stumble along the way. I was praying this morning and preparing my own heart to be here and spent time in worship and time in the word. And then I'm going over my message again. But as I'm praying, I'm just like, why do I get to do this? Why did you pick me to do this? Don't you know how weak I'm feeling so inadequate in myself to do this thing? Wrestling over it and feeling the doubts again that come with this task of proclaiming the word of God to you because I don't want to presume anything. Of my own life. And just remembering the words of Peter. As he was talking to Jesus after the resurrection. Peter just cried out to God and just said. You know all about me Lord. You know that I love you. And I cried that out to the Lord this morning. God you know everything about me. And I, I feel so weak and so inadequate to this. But you know Above all things, you know this, Lord, you know I love you. I love that God hears that prayer. I love that he knows that despite the struggles in my life, despite the failures and the tripping and the stumbles that happen along the way in my journey, anybody else, or am I just preaching about myself right now? 
that despite all of that, I understand that this is all a process, and so I'm not going to be discouraged in it. I'm just not. If I stumble and fall, if I hashtag fail, I'm getting back up. I dust myself off. I might have to get one of you to help me up. But I'm going to keep going because this is a process. We're not going to be discouraged by the fact that we're talking about having a life that's entirely perfectly about Jesus Christ. It seems like a standard that's so hard to attain. It's a process. We just keep going. Strive toward it. We grow in it. It's the eternal glory we pursue in With passion in this life, it's the ongoing, that's an important word, work of putting Jesus Christ at the center of all things in my life. We don't get to the place of perfectly achieving it now, but we're tenacious in reaching for it. Amen? We're going after it. That's why we're here in uncommon community as the church of Jesus Christ to help one another get to the finish line. It's a process. And then I just put down this third word, it's I kind of alluded to this already. It's just hard. The reason why we can get discouraged is because it is so hard. And the mistake we could make is taking James too literally here and just saying, um, well, and all I have to say whenever I say anything is just throw the phrase, if the Lord wills, because he said, just say this. And all of a sudden it just becomes some kind of like rote thing that we say, but there's no heart behind it. We think it's some kind of magic words that make everything conform to the will of God. I'm going away up to the Muskoka's uh, this afternoon with Cheryl and some other pastors. We're going to be going up. And um, I could say, hey, you know what? This afternoon I'm going up to Muskoka, if the Lord wills. And all of a sudden, anything I say, I'm just tagging on this line, expecting that in doing so, I'm now obeying James chapter 4. And the reality is it's much less about the words. It's, it's always much less about the words. And it's always about where our heart is. Is it in my heart that I'm submissive to God's will? Will I be okay if the retreat gets canceled or my car blows up this afternoon and I can't make it with my wife to share in that time with others? If I get angry about that, if I'm sideways about it, if I don't like what God decided for this afternoon, then in my heart, the if the Lord wills part didn't mean anything. It's not the words, get it? You got to just say get it. It's in my heart that I have to believe this. And, and so it's not as easy. This is where I'm going with this. It's not as easy as just throwing the phrase at the end of it. If God wills it, we're going on vacation in July. I'm going to college in the fall, God willing. I'm getting married in six days, if God wills. It's not, it's not as simple as that. It's about our heart conforming to the will of God. It's giving him sovereignty and control over all things. Again, Jesus, I think about Jesus in the garden again. Agonizing, agonizing over the will of God. Whatever trial you're going through and trying to figure out. Not minimizing anybody's trial. Everyone is difficult. Everyone a personal wrestling match with God. Like Jacob and the Lord wrestling, hip socket, put out of joint, walking with a limp for the rest of our lives. Struggling with what God chose for us. None of that's easy. God, why did this happen to me? Why was it my marriage? Why my kid? Why my health? Why can't I make it? 
wrestling with God's will, agonizing prayers, tears flowing from our eyes. Of course it's that way. We live in a world that is entirely hostile to the kingdom of God. We live in a world so tainted by sin. And in the midst of this, we're being asked to live entirely perfectly for Jesus Christ. Not presumptuously, not doing it in our strength, but completely submitted to his will. Of course there's conflict. Of course it's hard. We're to recognize the centrality of Christ. We're to hold loosely to the things that he gives us. We're to hold loosely to our plans, knowing he could change them in a heartbeat. We want a God in every part of our lives. This is the way Jesus taught us to pray, by the way. You remember this? Matthew chapter 6. The Lord's prayer, he's teaching us, and he said, your will, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So all we have to do is say, okay, this thing that I want to do, would this be done in heaven? That's pretty simple, right? Would this be done in heaven? Some areas of my life where I could even think about this. This mission, this purpose I have in life, this thing that I'm doing or I want to do, would this fit in heaven? Or, or I, I think about the way I live my life, moral questions. This thing that I'm doing right now, this moral choice that I'm making, this lifestyle that I have, this practice, this, this pursuit that I have, would they do this in heaven? Your life as it is in heaven. Money. Would they? Sp- There's no money in heaven. Would they spend this money in heaven? Would they spend it this way? If, if heaven had money, would it be spent in this way? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will, but yours be done was Jesus' prayer. That's, listen, this is what we're going at. That's the extraordinary Christian life. No presumption. Now, any resistance we have to that betrays the fact that hashtag, ready for this, pride is the problem. Pride is the problem. James calls it out in verse 16, as it is. You boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Could you agree with me? Boasting is bad. Yeah, unless you're going to boast in the cross of Christ. Okay, unless you're going to boast in your own weakness. Those are some biblical boasting things that are okay. But boasting in this context, boasting is bad. Would you agree that arrogance is bad? Okay, both are bad. Two bads don't make anything good. All right, that's double bad. That's bad to the power of ten. Okay, this is, they're boasting, look what they're boasting in. The text says they're boasting in their arrogance. They're like proud of their pride. 
They're like so caught up in themselves and in their autonomy and in their ability to make their own decisions and live their own life their way that they're boasting in that while still, because they're in the church, naming the name of Jesus Christ. It's ridiculously outrageous. I got to believe, by the way, uh, that uh, James had in mind Proverbs 27.1 when he wrote this part of the letter. Proverbs 27.1 says, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring. Stop boasting. Stop being arrogant about what you're planning. God may change it. I mean, how is it that people who know exactly zero about what's going to happen tomorrow morning are so confident in their plans about it? Not a person in this room knows what's going to happen in the next five minutes, let alone tomorrow morning. You have no idea where the course of your life is going to go. Oh, you're playing the odds. You think it's going to go in a certain direction, but you don't really know. And yet we're so confident about these things. I'm going to such and such a school in September. I'm starting such and such a business. We're going to be doing this. So confident. God, not even part of any of it. Pride is the problem. God is the one who knows the beginning from the end. Amen. God is the one. He's the one who needs to be the center of all things so that we don't become a wreck in the midst of life's trials. I love the questions that Isaiah asks. Isaiah 40. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow. uh, He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He knows tomorrow. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Our testimony ought to be this. Listen and sing. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Go ahead and sing it as your testimony. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know. Listen, you can only sing that if you recognize that pride is the problem. And if you get pride out of the way, you get your arrogance out of the way, you get yourself out of the way. And to do that, there's one way only. There's nothing I preach that's ever very complicated. The scriptures are so clear. We need to call this what it is. It's sin. That's what James calls it. He tags on to the end of this great passage, verse 17. It's a proverb, small p, proverb of its own. It's a maxim, if it's a a maxim or, or a truism. Whoever knows the right thing 
to do and fails to do it for him. It is sin. Parents, I have no idea why you all don't have this emblazoned somewhere in your kitchen. This is a great parenting verse. Anyone who knows the good they ought to do and don't do it, it's sin. You know you ought to take the garbage out. You see it piling up. You see the recycle bins are beyond full, yet you precariously purge one more Coke can on top of it. You know the good you ought to do. I have a feeling I just slipped into a different message there. It's a general principle. James tags it on here because he knows it applies to all kinds of situations, yet it applies so readily to this. This verse speaks to what we have commonly called the sins of omission, not the sins of commission, where I purposely go out and do something God has said don't do, but these are the things that I know are the right things to do. I just don't do them. The sins of omission. And I appreciate the clarity of this. When we fail to put Jesus Christ at the center. When we compartmentalize our lives. James says it's sin. When we make decisions in life apart from God. We sin. And the answer of course is to agree with God and to turn to him. To turn to Jesus Christ. In full submission to his will for my life. To do so without any reservation whatsoever it's complete abandon and it's the best place to live because he's the one who knows what's happening tomorrow morning a presumptuous life is inconsistent with the extraordinary christian life but a submissive life is wholly consistent with the extraordinary christian life submit therefore to god Let's pray together and then we're going to sing some more of that great song. Father, thank you for the privilege of hearing your word again. God, I thank you for the clarity of it. I thank you for the simplicity of it. And I pray, God, knowing that there's not a single person in the room that could escape this, where not living our lives entirely and perfectly for you. We confess that freely to you right now. And we repent of it. We want to agree with your word today. We want to turn from our own way of doing things. There's not a person in the room that doesn't have a something that needs to be repented of. And so God, hear our prayers. Help us this week to live more fully for you, to make the right decisions, to include you. Where there needs to be substantive change, God, Help us to seek the counsel we need and the love of those around us who would support us in that. God, do the work in us that only you can do by the power of your Holy Spirit in us. We plead with you for this. And we pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray that today's message was encouraging and challenging. For more info about Harvest Bible Chapel, check us out online at harvestberry.ca. Thanks again, and remember, you are loved.